first coming. And so before we get started, uh, turn to Luke chapter 1 verse 26 as we began the chapter last week. Father, I just want to begin this moment this morning and just pray. Thank you so much for your first coming. Thank you for humbling yourself. Lord, thank you for the individuals, the real people that this affected and their humility and their willingness to be used by you. As we look at Mary this morning, this is a a story that we could oftentimes look over or even not pay the right attention to. Lord, we, we see that Mary was a young girl that you impacted her life in a way that might cost her her social status, uh, her her future husband. And uh, Lord, she ended up by saying, I'm yours, Lord. And so Lord, help us to have that same heart, to be willing, just like Mary, to, uh, to open up and be willing to do whatever it is you've told us to do. And in the meantime, Lord, we just ask that you would meet each one of us this morning as we study your, your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a very familiar story, especially during this time of year. It can be very easy for us to, to kind of read over it and just be used to what we're reading. So this morning, we're not really going to study a whole lot of new stuff if you've heard this story before. We're just going to look a little deeper into it than typically sometimes happens this time of year. So as we start in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, remember that last week we looked at how John the Baptist the forerunner for Jesus, the one who would proclaim this um, baptism of repentance, he was really sent along before Jesus, and his mission in life was to prepare the people for the kingdom of God, to prepare them for, he wasn't the one that came to save them from their sins, he was the one that came before Jesus. And so while we may think of that as kind of a small role, it's a huge role, because each of us, All of us sitting here, if we know Jesus, God has given us what Paul called a ministry of reconciliation. God sent his son to reconcile us back to his his father. And so he sent Jesus to reconcile us, to deal with the sin that we had in our lives that separates us from God, so that we could be introduced to him, the Holy One. And so in the same way, John the Baptist, he was a forerunner. He was someone that went out and said, here he comes. Think about, I don't know how many of you went to the parade last night, but at the beginning of the parade, they always have these police vehicles. And they got the flashy lights, their headlights, sometimes they're squalling the, the, the call on the, the loudspeaker. But everyone knows when they see the flashing lights and the sheriff or the cop car in the front, they know that they are preparing the way. Here comes the parade, watch out, get your kids out of the street, right? And so in the same way, John the Baptist, in many ways, is a lot like those police cars. He was a little different. He made a lot of noise. He, re- he told them, he said, repent, the kingdom of God is at, is at hand. And to those who were religious, he even said, you know, who warned you of the wrath to come? He called them snakes. You know, to the Pharisees, he said, you guys are a bunch of snakes, You know, he wanted to sober them up and say, hey, here comes the Son of God. Here comes the Holy One, the one that all of our Old Testament scriptures foretold. He's on his way, so be ready. Now, he wasn't just saying get the streets ready. He was saying get your heart ready. 
And when Christmas time comes around, I got to confess to you, most of the time my heart's not ready. I, I get all delved and ju- uh, jumbled up with all the, the decorations and all the shopping. And I'm just like, I don't even want to do it. And it's not because I don't like giving. It's just because I know the stores are going to be crazy. And I know there's not going to be enough time in the day to get the decorations up. And so the Lord, more than us preparing outwardly, He wants us to prepare inwardly, to remember, to be sobered by the fact that God came down into human flesh in order to save us from our sins, that our sins are so grievous in His sight that He had to send a propitiation, someone to go and die in our place. My sin deserved the judgment of death. That's a gruesome thought, isn't it? And so here we are. John the Baptist is telling them, prepare the way. And he hasn't said that yet, but he's going to be born. And it says here in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Gabriel was the same angel that was sent to proclaim the news to Elizabeth and Zacharias. Zacharias was in the temple doing his duty as the one offering incense up before the Lord in the temple. That's how they would worship. And during that hour, they would have a time of prayer outside of the temple, praying for Zacharias that he wouldn't be taken, and also praying for the nation. And so when Zacharias comes out of the temple, usually he would come out and he would say, you know, he would say the blessing from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. But instead, when he came out of the temple, he said nothing because the the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, had rendered Zacharias mute. And so when he comes out mute, they know something supernatural has taken place while he's giving incense inside the temple. Something's a little different than normal when the incense offerer comes out and he can't say anything. And so... He was promised, we know from reading the story at the beginning of this chapter, he was promised a son. And they were to name him John. And he would be the forerunner. So this same person that came to, the same angel that proclaimed this news to Zechariah is now being moved to a different location, to Galilee, to a city called Nazareth. Now, this was no city at all. As a matter of fact, when we were going through this on Friday night, I was reminded that this was really just kind of a farm village. They were off the beaten path. You know, the the phrase was said, you know, can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, Well, we'll find out that the Savior of the world came, the best thing that could ever come came from Nazareth. And so I like this story for many different reasons, but now living down here in kind of what I would consider a smaller community compared to a lot of them surrounding us, I would say that, you know, we're much like the town that Jesus came to. And a lot of people from bigger towns might quickly or easily say, well, if God was going to send the Savior for the whole world, why would he send him to Arcadia Valley? You know, but that's how God came to the world. He didn't come with a lot of pomp and circumstance. The one, his forerunner that came before him lived in the desert. He ate weird, you know, bugs and he wore camel's hair and And he did all these things that make absolutely no sense. If you want to proclaim salvation to the world, why wouldn't you put a megaphone on the moon? But God didn't. He sent his son to a common place so he could relate with common people. So it says there that this Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. Now, I think sometimes, as we would probably be considered more Protestants than the, uh, the high church Catholicism, Catholicism gets a bad rap because they highly look at Mary. And they get a couple of things wrong, but in some ways they get it right. It says there that she is highly favored, that there was something special about this young girl. It says that she was a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now this is kind of lost in our culture because if someone is engaged to be married, uh, many times it means that they're probably already living together. Uh, now that in the biblical sense is not okay. But in, in this context, what would happen is there was a couple of different relationships you would have to someone you were going to marry. There would be the courting. There would be a time where basically someone was betrothed, but the idea was that they were, uh, marriages were arranged ahead of time. And so there wasn't this, hey, I think you're cute, will you go to the movies with me? There was like, they were from two years old sometimes, they would just know, hey, we're, we're going to get married one day. And maybe their parents are good friends or they're close, you know, they, they, they understand each other, they, they like the way they raise their kids and they like the way they raise their kids and they go, hey, why don't we just make an arrangement here? One day little Susie is going to get married to little Johnny. And so then it's just understood from that point on, they're arranged, they're engaged to be married. So that's not a lasting covenant so much other than it's an agreement between two parents. But then one day it becomes the betrothal time. And that's when they would be formally engaged. And during that time, there would not be a whole lot of social interaction. As a matter of fact, they would talk about it. They would know one another. But then the husband or the the betrothed husband would leave for about a period of a year and he would build onto his parents' home and he would build a little shack or a lean-to, something that they could call their own, their own room. And during that time of preparing a place, in the meantime, the, the wife-to-be, she would be there waiting for his return. Kind of interesting, right? Because we see that Jesus has gone to heaven to prepare us a place He's, always, he's already paid the bride price or the dowry for us and he's promised to marry us. And so then, in the meantime, the, the husband could come back at any moment. You don't know when. No one knows the date or the hour. Not even the angels of heaven of when Jesus will come back, but the, the spouse in the Jewish wedding would be the same way. He would prepare a place and then at an unspoken of hour, he would show up and say, it's time. And then they would have a wedding feast for seven days. And after the wedding feast, they would consummate. But the point I want to make to you is during that betrothal time, even though they were, in our eyes, just engaged, if they were at, for any reason to say, hey, we're not going to get married, they would have to have a formal divorce. Isn't that weird to us? Because... For us, if we're engaged, that just means, hey, I promise to marry you, but if it breaks off, it breaks off. There's no paperwork, there's no uh, divorce agreement, there's nothing. It's just, hey, we're not going to get married anymore. Okay, well, we're just out of the wedding expenses. And sometimes it's more messy than that. But the idea is, in this culture, for them to be betrothed, 
if she were to be found pregnant, it would be looked at as adultery. And so this is a very serious thing for Mary. So I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I kind of wanted to lay the, the cultural background. But the angel coming in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women. And so she's blessed. But verse 29 says, When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. The word there means she was agitated. And so considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Again, we see this over and over. When these angels come in and they talk to these people, it seems like their first response is, Oh no, I've done something wrong. Or, Oh no, what's going to happen to me? The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now in that day, they were looking for the coming of the Messiah. This wasn't a new thing that they were not understanding. They were awaiting the coming of their long foretold Messiah. And they were foretold this as early as 600 years before. And if you read Genesis chapter 1, actually the Messiah was at that time already spoken of. The seed of the woman who would put the enemy under his feet. Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so here they are. uh, At this time, they were looking for the coming of the Messiah still. So at that time, young women... That was their hope. Hey, the hope of Israel is to come. Maybe I'll be the one who will bring forth this son. And so they were excited. Anytime they found out they were going to have a boy, even though they didn't have an ultrasound, they were excited. And many of them would actually name their sons Jehoshua. Or our version of that would be Joshua. Meaning, God is our salvation. And Jesus is that same name. God is our salvation. And so for her to name the son Jesus, she was excited. He will be great, verse 32, and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so this son would be more than just a Messiah, but also a king. He would be the the Messiah, the one who came to save them from their sins, but also a king who would sit on the throne of David. And so this is, to her, if she knows anything about Scripture at all, she understands what this means. This, This is a huge implication. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Now, the the idea is that, since I have not known a man physically. (coughs) So, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now I find this interesting because remember the story last week. Zacharias is in the temple. Gabriel comes and says, your wife is going to conceive and she's going to have a son and you'll name him John. And he'll be the forerunner of the gospel. He'll tell that Jesus is coming. But he says... How can this be? Like this, there's no way. And because of that, because of his unbelief, the angel makes him mute until the time that John comes. So why is 
when she questions, why is she not made mute? You would think that he would treat her the same way, but notice her question. How can, how can this be? Not this can't be, but how will it come to place? She's not questioning that God is able to do this or not. She's questioning, how is this going to happen? Like, give me a little more detail because I've never been with a man. How can I have a son? Now, she does understand the promise of God to bring a savior, but she's missing a little piece that God told them. So I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 7, because in there we have a little promise that it seems like uh, many people had forgotten by this time. They knew God promised a Messiah. They knew God promised that he would be a son and that he'd sit on the throne of David, but they missed a little piece that would be a sign to the nation that this was the coming one. It says there in Isaiah chapter 7, in verse 10, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask for a sign, nor will I test the Lord. This was a sign concerning what God had promised specifically to Ahaz in his situation. But in the midst of that, we find a promise that's much more far-reaching. So in verse 13, he says, Then he said, Hear now, O O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, that word meaning God with us. Curds and honey he shall eat, and that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, in other words, as an infant, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. But you see there it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now many people, scholars, liberal Bible scholars will say that this word here, the virgin, will just mean a young lady who was at the time in the spot in her life where it made sense for her to get married. And we studied this in 1 Corinthians, where it talks about a man and his virgin, talking about his daughter who is at the age ready to be married. And that's the word that is used in 1 Corinthians, but I can't pronounce the word, so I won't even try to say it, but there's a different word that's used in this case to talk about a virgin. And this word means that she's a virgin and she conceives both at the same time. So... Many people, biblical scholars say, well, it it could mean any virgin. But if that was the case, that wouldn't really be a sign. Behold, a woman who will come and will be at the age of conception will conceive a son. Well, that's not a sign because that happens every day. Since the beginning of time, since God gave us the ability as human beings to reproduce, that's been happening. So that, that doesn't really narrow it down. That's not a sign. A sign would be, for this virgin to conceive and still be a virgin at the time of her conception, that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and his power would make her pregnant. And so this seed of the woman does not need a man in order to have this Savior. And this is important. Larry King was quoted as saying, 
they asked him one time, they said, Larry King, if you could interview any person that's ever existed, who would it be? And he said, Jesus Christ. And they said, why? He said, I want to ask him if he truly was born of a virgin. And they said, why? He said, because if he was born of a virgin, it changes all of human history. It changes all of human history. Because the promise of God said, if the Messiah comes, he will be born of a virgin. Larry King is Jewish. He understood what Isaiah said, that the Messiah would come through a virgin. And so the virgin birth is a huge, huge piece. Because if he wasn't born of a virgin, then he's not the Messiah. So it's important that we celebrate that. So here we are. He's been, she's been promised that he will be great, verse 32 of Luke 1, I kind of jumped back, and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. How many kings in this life reign forever? Zero, because we all die. So there's got to be more to this than just, hey, your son's going to be the next king. Because if that's the case, kings die. But this is a different kind of king. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Verse 35, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth... Your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is no, now the sixth month for her, her who was called barren. So, hey, by the way, your relative, Elizabeth, she's conceived and she's been pregnant for six months now. And we're going to find out why the angel told her this. Verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, I want to turn really quickly to Genesis chapter 1. Because in Genesis chapter 1, the writer there makes a statement in verse 1. He says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you can believe that one verse, the rest of it, all that God does, the miraculous, the everyday, it should be very easy to believe. Many people stumble over these little nooks and crannies of the Bible, but we need to take them back and we need to take ourselves back sometimes to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then this statement we just read in Luke chapter 1 kind of brings it around and it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. If you can believe Luke chapter 1, verse 37, then the rest of it, just like Genesis 1, 1, should be easy. It should put us at ease. With God, nothing is impossible. And so with that as the backdrop, we go to verse 38. It says, Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. The the modern day vernacular for that would be, Behold, here I am, Lord, I'm yours. And she asserts that when she says, Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She basically is saying, Aye, aye, captain. She's saying, Amen, so be it. Whatever you said, Lord, I believe it. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. Whatever you want to do with my life, I'm yours. 
She's consecrating herself to the Lord. She's saying, I'm yours, Lord. Whatever you want to do, I trust you. Now remember, when the Lord told her, when the angel told her, he he said, uh, (laughs) rejoice, highly favored one. She said, "Ah, I lost my place. She was troubled at his saying. She was a little overwhelmed. When God approaches us and starts to reveal something that he wants to do in our lives, sometimes we do get a little overwhelmed and we get scared. And that's okay because the Lord wants to get past that with us. He wants to comfort us. And one of the ways he does that for Mary here is he says, you know, just a, just a little nugget for you. If you believe that this is impossible, your relative who was barren and everyone knew it, She's, she's in six months of conception, and she's actually going to bring forth a son too. Now, I, I, ask, I, I put that in there because here's the deal. Mary's been told something that's pretty heavy. It has lots of implications on her life. She is going to be considered an adulterer. And if you read, I think it's in Matthew's account, Joseph actually decides before he hears from the Lord hey, you know what, Mary, I don't want to put you to public shame, so I'm going to put you away quietly. I'm going to, you know, we're going to break this off. No big deal. I'm not going to make a public example of you. I'm just going to put you away silently. And after that, the Lord comes to Joseph and says, you need to marry her. It's going to be okay. This, she's not committed adultery against you. This is of me. She's pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. And so, All of this is going on in her everyday life. The Lord has shaken things up. Here she is, a young woman. She's anywhere from 13 to 17 years old. And and she's been told, hey, you're pregnant of the Holy Spirit. And so imagine, if you will, people are like, hey, you're beginning to show. What's going on down here? And she goes, uh, I'm pregnant. Well, why? The Holy Spirit, like... Yeah, people are going to believe that, right? No, they're going to go, you've been sleeping around. Now, here's an even more serious piece of information. In the Jewish culture, if you were caught as an adulterer, they wouldn't just slap you on the hand and say, hey, we're going to take care of you and we're going to help you provide for this child even though you're not married. The implications for adultery were you would be stoned to death. And so imagine, if you will, the Lord says, hey, it's okay, you're pregnant now. Don't worry, I'm going to take care of this. And she's like, yeah, but they're going to kill me. So for her to say, behold, your maidservant, be it unto me as you've said, she's expressing a great deal of faith saying, the Lord's brought me to this. He's going to bring me through this. He's going to keep me from being stoned to death. And even if he allows me to be stoned to death, he he won't because he's promised that this, this child is way more than just a child. And so... Just a lot going on for Mary. So she needs a little bit of support from one of her friends. And so it says there in the next verse, verse 39, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. She wants to go check and see if this is really going to go on, right? But she's also need to talk to somebody who can understand. God places people in our lives that can relate with us. Who's she going to be able to talk to that can understand other than someone else who if she looks at her and says, I'm pregnant because of God, Elizabeth goes, I know. I was barren. I wasn't able to have children at all. I can relate to that. 
She looks at Elizabeth and Elizabeth goes, I know because the angel told my husband that I was going to have a son and then someone else was going to have a son. So I'm with you in this. And so she spends a few months with her getting a little of encouragement. So she enters the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember the promise was that this son, John the Baptist, he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. This is something special. Verse 42, Then she spoke out with a loud voice, this is Elizabeth, and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So all of this being confirmation to Mary. Hey, you've trusted yourself to the Lord, and I just want to speak words of comfort into your life. And she does. She prophesies, she's filled with the Spirit, and she says all of the things that the angel Gabriel has already told her, Elizabeth wasn't there for that. And she starts to say the same things, agreeing with that account, even though she wasn't there. This is a testimony of encouragement, saying, hey, this is of the Lord. There's agreement in what she's saying, as what Gabriel had said. She says, blessed is she who believed. She says, Blessed are you. Oh, how happy are you because you believed God for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Without faith it is impossible to believe God, to please God for he who comes must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In that verse, he's saying God, God rewards those who trust him by faith. Paul writes later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, We walk by faith, not by sight. We trust the Lord, not what we see. We're so used to trusting what we see. Everything in uh, Mary's life would say, Hey, this can't be. This is too hard. And the Lord continues over and over again to say, It's going to be okay. I've got this. I've laid it out. I'm going to use you. You're going to be a blessing. But God's also interested in the one through whom he's bringing the blessing. I'm going to bless you while you trust me. So he brings words of encouragement through her cousin Elizabeth, or through her relative. So as a result of this, Mary's life, I think we could all agree, has been shaken up. She's being bumped. Her apple <coughs> cart is being stirred up. She's being squeezed in her trust in the Lord. God's bringing her outside of her comfort zone. All of a sudden, the box that she had her God in has been blown up and God's way bigger. And so I want you to notice that though Mary's life has been squeezed, it's been shaken up, here's what happens. Our lives are like what I always call a toothpaste tube. And when we get squeezed, whether it's by circumstances that the Lord allows, or whether it's by something that God wants to use us to do, we get squeezed. It makes us uncomfortable. But when you squeeze a toothpaste tube, what comes out of it? Toothpaste, because that's what's in it. Mary gets squeezed, and I want you to see, she's going to bless the Lord with the words of her lips. That's proving what's in her. Many times, life shakes us up, and we get squeezed a little bit because of our circumstances, and maybe a cuss word comes out, or maybe we start 
you know, yelling at somebody. We get aggravated or agitated and out of us comes these words and we're like, that's not really me. But let me tell you that when you get squeezed and what comes out, that proves what's in there. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, if you're one of those that when you get squeezed, bad stuff comes out, let me tell you, you're in good company. I guarantee each one of us in here has those moments. But what the Lord wants to do is he wants to fill us with something new that when we do get squeezed out of us comes rivers of living water, his holy word. And I say that because, again, Mary is anywhere from many believe to be 13 to 17 years old. That may be a little younger than you were thinking. But Mary is a young woman, but I want to point out what she's getting ready to say. She's going to bless the Lord. She's praying And most of it is scripture, or at least allusions to scriptural ideas. And it's because, I believe, she had a relationship with the Lord before this ever happened. She didn't get asked to do something by the Lord and then she started getting ready. She's been being prepared by the Lord in her personal relationship with Him for years. And so she says in verse 46, it says, And Mary said, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She comes from a humble estate. She's from Nazareth. Nobody knows where that's at. There's no mention in Old Testament scripture up until this point. This is the first mention in scripture of the city of Nazareth. It's off the beaten path. And notice also in verse 47... She says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, not the Savior, but my Savior. Many, that's where some of the, you know, the groups get it wrong. Mary needed salvation. She's not holy in and of herself. She says, God, my Savior. You know, we, there are groups that go to Mary. They pray to her. They ask for blessing. We don't pray to someone who has passed away. We pray to a living Savior. Mary needed a savior just like you and I do. She's a sinful human being. For he has regarded my lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, from this point on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Not the idea of being terrified, but the idea of being the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. For he has shown strength with his arm, verse 51. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So, here we have Mary, her life being shaken up, and the first thing that she does is she goes and sees somebody, she needs some encouragement, but as she gets that confirmation from her relative Elizabeth and finds out, hey, Elizabeth already knows this is of the Lord. God's revealing his plan of salvation to the world and he's using us, two ladies. In that society, for God to reveal himself to ladies, 
speaks to their culture because they viewed women as property in many ways. And so God's showing that he doesn't, he's no respecter of gender or ethnicity. Like God's just breaking down these barriers and he's bringing forth his son in a way that the world was not looking for him to do so. And Mary, she sings, she glorifies, she, she magnifies the Lord with the praises of her lips. And like I said, we won't have time to get into it today, but most of this is she's recounting what scripture has already told her as she's known it. And so, let me ask you this morning, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, and as we look at our personal relationship with the Lord, these promises have been fulfilled. Jesus has come to the world. He is the Savior of the world. And yet, we look at these two individual ladies, and when the Lord called them to do something that was outside of their understanding, outside of their comfort zone, they humbled themselves and said, Lord, However you want to use my life, I'm available. Let me ask you, is that you? Are you prepared for the Lord to step into your life and shake things up and to squeeze you? Is that your response to Him when He speaks to you? Do you know enough about our God that if He spoke to you, you would be able to say, Lord, here I am, I'm yours. I've, I've told other people that I'm yours. I'm a Christian and now it's time for the rubber to meet the road. What do you want me to do, Lord? What have you called me to do? What is your purpose for my life? What is your purpose in this specific situation that you've allowed to happen? It's hard, Lord. I don't get it. Why would you allow this to happen in my life? I'm about to get married. That's what Mary's thinking. I'm about to get married. I'm making wedding plans and we got our vacation planned and but we're going to start this thing and we're going to have a baby? There's no honeymoon in that. And the Lord, He's just so gracious. He says, I'm going to use you for a bigger purpose than your own life. But it has to start in your personal relationship with me. Are you willing to do something that makes you uncomfortable? So, that's where we are this morning. If God stepped into your life today, personally, in human flesh, and said, I want you to do this, which is what he has done, would you be willing? Are you willing to, like in marriage, forsaking all others, consecrate yourself to, you, to the use of your husband, Jesus? I know that's weird for us guys to think, but Jesus has paid the dowry. He's gone to prepare a place. And in the meantime, we're to be prepared as his bride, the church. And in the meantime, he wants to use us until he returns again. Are you willing to be used? What's he called you to? And what are you doing to prepare to be used by him? Mary was a young girl. You know, Jesus, when he came along the scene, he used men that we kind of get this picture. They had long gray beards. They were young guys. It was a youth movement. Now, many of us would consider ourselves past our youth, but we're not. We're not going home until the Lord calls us. We're in our youth at this point. So what is God trying to do today? So as we consider that, and as we get ready to take communion, there's a few times, once in a while, usually it's either in the morning devotion time, a lot of the time it's on the way home from work, I'm driving in my Jeep and the Lord says to me, not in an audible voice, just in a convicting voice, the Holy Spirit just, are you really mine? Are you really willing to do what I've called you to do? Are you living your life as if you're your own? Or are you living your life as if you're mine? And at that moment, I usually just stop and say, you're right, Lord. 
I've been living like I'm mine. And I just start praying, Lord, I'm yours. I give you my wife. I give you my children. Now I'm going to have two. Am I willing to give them up to the Lord? So as we take communion today, that's what I want to be on your mind. Are you really the Lord's? What has He asked you to do? And are you willing to fulfill that which He's called you to do? And just spend some time saying, Lord, am I right with you? Because that's what communion's about. Remembering the sacrifice that He's made. Remembering the provision of salvation. But also saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do today? Am I right with you? So... Um, We're going to sing a song, and during that song, you can come up and get the elements. Take them at your leisure. Um, We're going to probably prolong the song a little bit. Just spend some time with the Lord. And then after we finish that song, hopefully by then you've taken communion, and then we'll do one last song. We'll sing Joy to the World. So.